today, let's look at this particular uh, passage of Scripture, our little series, The Hope of Christmas. And, and really today, I really just want to do something different. God kind of gave me a different way to do this, and I just kind of want to walk through a text and, uh, and just show and point out some things. And I want to start by reading that text, and then I'm going to pray, and then we'll get started. It's found in Matthew chapter 2. If you got your Bible with you, go ahead and bring, bust out Matthew chapter 2, whether you've got an analog version or a digital version, and bust that out. And let's look at the first verse of Matthew 2, beginning at verse 1 down to verse 12. If you don't have anything with you, you can look on the screen. It'll be there. That's what the Bible says. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? Now, you ought to notice right away that Jesus was born in Bethlehem, but they show up in Jerusalem. Jerusalem was the capital city. So what they did is any custom, they went to the capital of that city. They went to the president as he's diplomats from the east and they went to find him. So they asked the question, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw its star, his star as it rose and we have come to worship him. It's amazing how these men from a distant land saw the star and they're following, pursuing it. And so verse 3 says, King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this as was everyone in Jerusalem. He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers and religious law and asked, had a special Congress session and asked, where is this Messiah, this new candidate, supposed to be born? They knew. They said in Bethlehem, in Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the ruling cities of Judah, for a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. Verse 7, then Herod called for another private meeting, called this time with those wise men. And he learned from them the time when it first appeared, tried to put everything back together. Then he told them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child. And when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. How many of you think Herod was really interested in worshiping Jesus? History tells us he was not. Verse 9, after this interview, the wise men went their way, and the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. This is going to be the verse I really want to land right here. After this, uh, the star that they had seen in the east landed them to Bethlehem, and it went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, somebody say, when they saw the star. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child and his mother, Mary, and bowed down and worshiped him. They opened up their treasure chests and gave them gold and frankincense and myrrh. When it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route for God had warned them in a dream not to return to here can we pray this morning Father God we are hopeful and thankful in the hope of Christmas the Father you're coming 
the first coming means you are coming again. And what you have accomplished in this earth, you are fulfilling in heaven. And on earth, your church, us, your people, are here to fulfill and bring that same hope, the message of the good news and the gospel to all the world until you come. So we pray today that as we look at this scripture and just kind of unpack it, that you would teach us something and that we would leave here never, not the same. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. And everyone said, amen. Amen. So like I mentioned, I really just kind of want to walk through this text. I, I, I looked at how I was going to preach this. And, you know, it's kind of the Christmas Sabbath. And there's a lot of different approaches to that. A lot of people are expecting, right, to hear Christmas songs and hear a song about Mary and everything like that. But I really wanted to, to what I felt God was putting on my heart was to send a message to you that, of something that's very practical and something that you can really take away with. And, and if I could just say it up front, is that if you're going to follow Christ, you got to learn how to worship. Now, what I mean by that, and I want to say this very, in a very simple way, is that worship uh, is, is not something that really needs to be learned, but you have to learn how to worship God. We are naturally worshipers. We do that naturally without much effort, without much coaching. We learn how to worship in different contexts. But in a basic way, we all know how to worship. Worship is something very simple. Worship is something that we just don't need a lot of instruction. We just do it. However, it is difficult at times to know how to worship God. Let me try to put this in a framework. In a very simple theological um, way, we understand that, that something that is holy and something that is reverent and something that is godly is simply set apart. Y'all understand that, right? Something that you set apart. When I was growing up, uh, this was back in the day, uh, when I go visit my relative's house, this is, may not be your, your experience, but we used to have, they used to have a living room. And in the living room, there was furniture. And it was a nice set of furniture that that person purchased. But it was not furniture that you were really supposed to sit down in and enjoy. It was furniture that had plastic wrapped all around it. Now, some of y'all don't know what I'm talking about. But some of y'all might have had an auntie or an aunt or an uncle or a grandma that had some furniture in the living room, right? Anybody know what I'm talking about? But it was covered in a very <laughs> thick piece of plastic. And perhaps you saw in the kitchen on the wall one of the most famous pieces of artwork in every African-American home was the fork, the spoon, and the knife. Now, so, now I'm just trying I know some of y'all know what I'm talking about. And there was always a picture of Martin Luther King and Jesus, right? And there was always a coffee table with a big white Bible. But you knew that, especially in your grandma's house, and some of you are grandmas now, but some of you used to go to grandma's house or whoever's house for Christmas. And when you went over there, there was just certain things that were what? You ain't supposed to touch. Don't move it. Don't eat in here. Don't put your feet on this. And that's because we all know how to set certain things apart. Musicians do this very well. They have the guitar that they put out and the guitar that nobody touches, right? They have the things that people can see and stuff that they would never let. Everybody has this. Something that is set apart for a special use. Set apart for a special moment. But see, worship really simply is, 
is showing worth to something. I teach this all the time, so I know I'm re- repeating myself. But worship simply just says, this is important to me, and not only am I setting this apart, I'm setting myself apart for it. So we naturally know how to worship. If we love a sports team, I'm just here to announce to you, you know how to worship. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not putting you down. And, and here's the thing, worship really is a very, a very transferable thing. But it just depends on where we put it, how we place it, and how much we place it on it. And so worship for the Christian, worship for the believer is a little bit different. Because we are essentially worshiping God, one that we cannot touch. One that we cannot see. One that we cannot audibly hear back from. Now, a lot of people would criticize that. Call us, you being a believer, some of the most, the dumbest thing you could, how could you believe in God? What, what is wrong with you? Somebody doesn't know my story. Because I, I love when people say that to me. I say, look, you don't know my story. And you don't know what I've been through. But what does it mean for a Christian or a believer, someone that follows God or interested in God? How do you worship? How do you worship? How do I know I'm doing it right? How do I know I'm doing it enough? But for the believer, it is absolutely imperative for us to understand how to worship God. If I can just make a very simple suggestion on the place to start, and what I want you to leave with today is your posture. Someone say your posture. It is your posture. It is how you present yourself to God. How many of you have been in a classroom? I don't know if you were at the top of your class or at the back of your class. But you could, you could typically look in a room, in a classroom, and know who's a good student and who's a bad student. By their what? By their posture. How are they sitting in the class? How are they sitting in the desk? How are they engaging with the teacher? And it's interesting that as you, if you were to come up here and stand up here, and, and preach for a couple of weeks, you would be able to notice a lot by your posture. I ain't picking on nobody. I didn't write this down to talk about this, so I won't go into it. But you can tell when someone's like really sleepy and they're trying to be polite. Like they are just knocked out. They are so tired and they're trying to be polite, you know, that kind of thing. You can tell somebody's just not there. They're not there. I don't know what they are, where they are, but they're not there. You can tell when somebody's like really, really listening, and you can tell when somebody's really struggling. And worship is really about your posture and what's important. Now, the reason I want to walk through this text very briefly is that as we talk about the hope of Christmas, the hope of Christmas is that Jesus fulfills what he says he's going to do. And it wasn't that the enemy made it easy for him. In fact, I think this was probably one of the most difficult times of Bible history. It doesn't seem that way, but the coming of Jesus the first time really was met with so much adversity because it began a process of fulfillment of our salvation that was very, very crucial. As I talked about in a couple messages ago, that we all celebrate the death and resurrection of Jesus. We all celebrate that. Easter time, we all say, hey, man, Jesus died on the cross and he's coming again. We celebrate that. But it was very important for him to come the first time. And the way he came and when he came... It was all a part of the strategic plan of God to launch the salvation phase into another level. And so when we read here, 
I find something very, very interesting in here. And what I find is God helping us learn how to worship. As we read through here, um, we pick up this part, and Matthew does not include everything uh, that happened at Jesus' birth. But one thing I want you to understand very quickly as we look at this text is that this happens several months after Jesus is born. I'm, I'm, you may have watched the Bible movie, and in the Bible movie, the, the, you know, the guys come in with the gifts and the shepherds, but it didn't happen all at the same time. This is actually several months after Jesus was born. Jesus was born, and the Bible mentions, mentions and refers to him as a child. He's not an infant. There's a word for infant in Greek. There's a word for babe in Greek. But Matthew chooses to pick up the story here intentionally when he's a child. What he wants to focus on the fact is that Jesus came from the line of David. And so this prophecy about Jesus coming from Bethlehem, that was important for Matthew to include. But as we see this story picking up, there are these wise men, right? And they come from eastern lands. We see that in verse 1. And so they show up to the White House of their day, and they're asking... Where is this king of the Jews? Now, King Herod, for those of you not familiar with him, there are a lot of Herods in the Bible. Herod was kind of like a, a, a title, and it would kind of be like different people were named Herod, and there were different Herods throughout the course of Jesus' ministry and life. You may be familiar with the Herod that he saw when he uh, was being crucified, but that wasn't the same Herod. This Herod was known to be very ruthless, and he, he, was, a, he was a stone cold killer, and he was actually not of Jewish descent. He was, uh, he, was, he was placed there and appointed there by the Roman government. So this guy is not, not Jewish. He's not an Israelite. He doesn't really associate with that. He's literally a political figure. And so when these men from the east come to talk to him, immediately he's threatened. He's hearing about this king of the Jews that's been born. Now, these men ask a very interesting question. They say, we saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. Now, this star, as you look through this text, I want you to just to tie something with this here. That this star is God's way of leading someone to Christ. This was a physical, I don't know what it looked like. It must have been very beautiful. But it was something that God physically gave them to guide them in their pursuit of God in the pursuit of seeing Christ the child. Now, it's interesting because we don't know why and where they came from, essentially, or specifically, I should say, but we know that they came. And for them, they had something right. They were able to identify not only with the prophetic uh, record that Christ would be born, and they were familiar and were able to recognize this star. So here they come, outsiders coming to where Jesus is, and the king himself, who's technically an outsider, has no idea what they're talking about, and he's disturbed. Verse 3 said everyone else was disturbed. Verse 3 says everybody was a little upset. And can I just tell you that Jesus doesn't make everybody happy? That the presence of who Jesus is does not make everybody comfortable. And can I just help you? That's probably why people aren't comfortable with you. Now, I'm not saying that in any sort of 
uh, prodigious way. Like, I'm just trying to make you feel proud about yourself. And I'm a Christian. No, I'm not, I'm not saying it that way. I'm just saying that the Bible talks about there is a enmity. There is a struggle. There is a, uh, 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 what's the good word? I should have thought of this word ahead of time. But there's a resistance that comes between the values that you follow Christ with people who choose not to acknowledge him. There's a certain way you do things. There's a certain way you believe. There's a certain way you smile that is in opposition. And that doesn't mean that we hold it against someone else or feel that we're better than someone else. But there are some people who just don't like Jesus and what he represents. And they're disturbed. Now, what's sad is these are people who were supposed to be expecting him. These are church folk. These are people who their whole entire nationality is wrapped around the coming of the Messiah. These are people who as children have heard this story and known and repeated this over and over again. They are expecting this to happen, but they're disturbed. And so what does he do? He calls a meeting with the priests, and he calls the religious leaders, and he says, where's the Messiah supposed to be born? And they knew where he was. Well, at least they knew where he was to be born. But it's interesting because the Bible suggests that these, chief, these priests and these leaders had no idea that Jesus was born. This is not happening all in one night. This is months later. And it appears that the test, text is suggesting that no one really knows what happened. They're unaware of the most significant moment. In their history, the fulfillment of God's promise to bring the answer to their problem into flesh, and they have no idea what's going on. So, he tells the men, hey, listen, tell me a little bit more about it. This is verse 7. Tell me a little bit more about it. Explain to me what's happening. Where did you see it? And then here's what he says in verse 8. Go to Bethlehem, search carefully for the child, and when you find him, Come back and tell me so that I can worship him too. Can I just tell you, when it comes to worship as a Christian, when we talk about posture, we talked about making sure that you are saying, God, listen, you're, you're worth something to me, and I want to give you what you deserve, and I'm going to put myself in a position to really hear from you and really enjoy who you are. The first thing that I want you to see in this is that you got to do it by yourself. No such thing as tag along worshipers. Look what he says. Go find him and then tell me where he is so then I can find him too. Can I tell you that worship is partly pursuit? You, you, don't, just, you don't just say, I want to worship God and you just flick a switch and boom, you just... You're just in his presence. Because you know what? God's presence is always there. When you're worshiping, especially by yourself, you're not asking God to come to you. I used to hear this all the time as a kid, and I never thought it was, co was correct. People would pray before a church. They'd say, God, we invite your spirit. Anybody hear that at church? Come and worship with us. I'm like, what? Like, this is God's house. That's <laughs> like, he's already here. I mean, you're, you're, what you're saying is, I, we want to give you permission to speak to us because we're so used to speak, listening to everybody else. 
See, worship is really about pursuit. God's presence is already there. What it is is that we're not aware of it. We're not aware of his presence. And so worship is really being intentional and putting myself in a posture that I can hear and I, did, I can discover his presence. Because worship really is about pursuit. How many of you have had a long day? And you tried, let's say you missed your worship, right, in the morning. And that's just, I mean, you try to read your Bible before you go to sleep. Now, I'm just, I'm just going to recommend to you, that's probably not, I think it's good to, you know, kind of end the day with God. But if you're, like, really wanting to have good quality time with God at night, it's probably not the best thing. I'm just, I'm just going to tell you. Because you'll see what happens if you start reading something, start praying, you dozing off about four or five times. And you sleeping, you wake up, oh, yeah, I'm praying. I mean, that's just, that's just how it goes. And, and sometimes you, you feel bad about that because you're, like, trying to connect with God, and you just got a whole bunch of things going on in your mind. And a lot of times, God's presence is there, but you have to push through what's going on in your life. You got to push through the bill you got to pay. You got to push through the distractions and finally silence everything enough so that you could hear what God has to say. And Herod was trying to co-sign and tag along on the wise men worship, and it doesn't work. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? It doesn't work. Because they take you to church doesn't mean anything. Because they know how to pray doesn't mean anything. You have to find a way to find God for yourself. And so they go. The Bible says down here in verse 9, after he meets with them, um, they begin to go to Bethlehem, and then... The star appears again to them, and it settles over the place where the child was. That's verse 9, right? And verse 10, when they saw the star, they were filled with joy. Now, that confused me for a second. Because hadn't they seen the star before? Right? Haven't they seen the star the whole time? Wasn't this something that was already there? Why are they so full with joy? Because the star had stopped and they recognized that their pursuit was over. That their pursuit of finding who they come to worship was finally coming together. They were excited to see the king. And so when they walk in the door, verse 11, look at this. They entered the house. They saw the child and his mother. I don't skip over that. Bible doesn't say where Joseph is. I don't know where he is. Maybe he's at work. Again, a couple months later. Some of you are new, have been new mothers before, right? She's just home. I don't know. Maybe he's a couple months old, playing with them, making a little something for him to eat. I don't know, playing with Jesus, and she hears a knock at the door. Now, she's not in the inn, right? She's in a house. No families there. It's just her. And the child. Now, what's also interesting to me is that the priests aren't there. Now, remember, these are, these are wise men from the east. They, they are from a caravan. These are not, and, and now most of us think because there was three gifts, there was three kings and all stuff. Those are Bible stories. The Bible doesn't say how many there were. It just says they were wise men. And so imagine, there's a big caravan of people that are coming to this house. Nobody's coming. Nobody's following. There's no crowd forming. It's just them, and it's just Jesus. 
And so when they get in the door, Bible says they see the child and his mother and Mary, and they bow down and they worshiped him. Here's what I love about the purity of this. Because in this star, God led them in their pursuit to find a child, and their desire was to worship him. Their whole mission was to come and to find him. And when they find the king, what do they find? They find a child. They don't find full-grown miracle Jesus. Jesus was not a little four-year-old talking about, hey, put you, just come over here real quick. Let me just bless you. Let me just heal all your diseases. Jesus wasn't doing that. He was slobbering at the mouth, right? A little infant, a little baby. But he was infant Jesus. He was just the king. He wasn't healing. He wasn't speaking. He wasn't teaching. Here it is. He wasn't doing anything for them. He wasn't answering their prayers. He wasn't making a way out of no way. The very fact of who he was was enough for them to worship him. And they worshiped him in his infant baby Jesus stage. Can I just help you? That worship has to start in the infant baby Jesus stage. You have to learn how to worship Jesus, the Jesus that doesn't do anything for you. Doesn't answer your prayers. Not making a way. Not trying to answer something that you're looking for. You're just worshiping for who he is. And he doesn't have to do anything for you. He doesn't have to answer your questions. He doesn't have to move on your behalf. He doesn't have to heal your body. You're just recognizing the fact that Jesus made a way and busted into sinful humanity and presented himself as a human. Who wants to do that? Some of you are pet lovers. I didn't grow up with pets. I, I'm just saying I don't, I don't get it. I try to get it. I really do. Like the dog licking in the face and stuff. I try to understand that. I try. I you know, there must be a special connection with that dog. I just, I didn't grow up like that. Dogs in my neighborhood ate like ice cream cones and stuff. They didn't go to vet. I'm just saying I didn't grow up with dogs like that. I'm just, I'm just a dog was just a dog. It was not a human. It didn't have doctor's appointments and braces and, you know, and medicine and all that kind of stuff. I'm trying to understand that. But if your dog was in trouble and God came to you and was like, you know what? You can save your dog. You was like, I can't? Yeah, all you got to do is become a dog and give your life for the dog and the dog will live. As a dog. The dog is still going to be a dog. But you're going to become a dog and give your life and jump up on the vet table Ugh, and they'll get whatever they do, and then you're going to save the dog. How many of you are like, you know what, I'm going to do that for my dog? I love you, dog. Nobody's going to do that. But the, but, but the mere fact that God was willing to do that for us is enough that the very fact that this child is the fulfillment of the promise of God here in the flesh. I'm looking at the son of God, a vulnerable little child. And I positioned myself to, to humble myself before a child. So what did they do? They bow and they worship. They open their treasure chests. They gave him gifts. 
of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Some of you have heard this because every pastor preaches this Christmas message. So when you read a little bit later in this chapter, you'll see that immediately Jesus leaves to go to Africa. Y'all read that, right? Later in the text, that same crazy King Herod, he gets really jealous. And so he sends out this literal genocide on all the men, baby child, baby children under two, sends out the orders to have them destroyed. And the angel warns them. And so they leave. They literally go to Africa for several years. Jesus was raised in Africa for I don't know how many years, learned a language there, learned about different people. He was raised in that context. And do you know that these gifts that they gave them were financial, was worth so much that it was able to sustain them while they were there? This, this was not just like, oh, cute, thanks for the frankincense. No, this was like someone dropping $300,000 at Jesus' feet. This, this was money. This was worth something. This was, this was economic stability for them and their family that they provided for Jesus. They provided for him unaware of what would happen to them. Their gifts and their response of worship provided for Jesus to continue and his family to live in Egypt. Can I just tell you that the fruit of your worship and the response of your giving, not just of your finances, but your time and your heart, do you realize that you are making a way for ministry to happen in this city that when you come and position yourself in a posture of worship to God that your response and when you open up the treasure chest of your heart that you are actually making it possible for the church to go forward and do ministry for years and years and years because some of you got a gift and it's a treasure it's not a one-time thing. Some of you have an idea that you haven't told me about. Yeah, I'm going to bust you up right now. I'm going to take two minutes on this. Let you go eat your dinner roast. If you're making dinner roast, please invite me, by the way. Um, some of you have an idea or a concept or an ability or a skill that we need. And it's a treasure. And the enemy keeps you from giving it. In fact, the enemy has probably used it many times. And you've got this one thing. When you come in, you just look around and somebody say, you know what? I could do this. That's not right. I don't like that. And there's a treasure that when you position yourself, you say to yourself, you know what? God is worth more than what I'm saving this for. And so as a posture of worship, I'm going to release what my treasure is, and allow God to use it. Do you know that God can use the treasure of your heart? God can use what you have that, to bless him. Because think about it. There's not a whole lot of people who are just running after God. Just think about it. Here is Jesus, baby. Well, he's not a baby. He's a baby. He's in you know, 15, 20 miles of Jerusalem, everyone who's of his same background understands who the Messiah is, and nobody's worshiping, nobody's celebrating him. In fact, there were men from a far country that showed more worship and more respect than the same people who would immediately be a beneficiary of his ministry. God had to send people 
from the east to bless Jesus. Nobody in this vicinity would bless him. Here's the other thing. When you read the story, which is very interesting about the end, you know, when you think about them coming to the town and all that kind of stuff, you guys know the scandal that Jesus was born under, right? And when he comes to, they're looking for, the Bible says there's no place in the inn. Well, just think about it. His whole family was in town, right? Because it was a census from Caesar. So think about this. If we all had to go back to Detroit or wherever we're from, and it was a family reunion, and everybody came for the family reunion, and everybody's there, and there's no place for you, Some of you ladies know that's scandalous. Because there was family there. But there's no place. And there's no family here. It's just Mary and a child. And Jesus has to bring people from the east to worship him. Can I just, can I just encourage us as a church? Because I know sometimes we can get caught up in how we're doing, and we can get caught up in who's among us, but I just believe in my heart that there are people who are far from God or who are far in proximity from where we are, but God is saying, I'm going to send them to you. And he's going to send people to come and do the ministry and bless the house and the cause of God if we refuse to worship him. If we're stuck in what we want to do and we're stuck in where we are, he will send somebody. And they will come from a place that we've never expected and they will show up and they will pour out their praise on God because God is looking for worshipers. Here's the last part of the verse I want to share with you. And like I said, I just wanted to walk through this today and really just try to give you something practical. Here's the last thing. Verse 12. When it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route. I'm looking for Eden. Somebody help her. She's coming somewhere. Hey, Eden, if you're here, place sound like really pretty and stuff. It'll be nice. Make it a little more dramatic. Okay. You guys are kind of help me. Okay. When it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route, for God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. They would have went back. And told Herod where he was. Herod would have come and he would have destroyed Jesus. I want you to think about this just for a second. Just think about it. Herod's intentions were not right, right? Herod was not interested in worshiping God, although he said he was. He was not interested in worshiping God. It didn't make sense for him to even try to worship Jesus. But he had every intention to kill him. And God appears to the men and says, hey, don't go back to Herod. Because if you go back and tell them where he is, they're going to come. And the angel warns them in a dream not to go back. And so they have to go on a different route. Herod would have killed Jesus on the site, on spot. Isn't it amazing that in the providence and in the protection of God, that Jesus was not killed when he could have been because they could have followed him right they could have just been spying and waiting to see if they found it but Herod was depending on these men 
to go back, which meant they probably had every reason to go back. That was the right protocol. And they probably had no suspicion of what Herod would do to Jesus. But God interrupts them and says, you've seen the king, and now what I want you to do is go a different direction. When you decide in your heart to say, you know what, God, I am going to worship you for who you are. I am going to take some time to set apart my day or my life or whatever you choose to say, you know what, I just want to put myself in the right posture that I can begin to appreciate and serve the baby Jesus, not the Jesus, because we all grow in our relationship with him. We all grow in our stage with him. And let me tell you, if you're just starting out, it's okay. Start out where you are. And the, and the deeper and deeper you'll get, he'll begin to reveal more and more to you. Some of you, he's revealed to you as a healer. Some of him, to you, he's revealed to you that he's a provider. He's revealed different aspects of himself to you as you walk with him. But as they said, you know what? We're going to position ourselves and they're filled with joy and they gave everything they had. What God said was now when you leave this place, you got to go to a different direction. Don't go back the same way you came. Because if you go back to the same way you came, those that you just left will threaten the life of the one you just saw. Some of you are not hearing what I'm trying to say. When you leave your worship time, when you leave this worship experience and go back the same way, you equip the enemies of God that are already in your life to find and destroy your secret place. Worship is about sometimes listening to his voice and saying, don't go back that same direction. Don't go back in that house the same way. Don't go back to your job when you go back to work the same way. Don't take the same path because the environment and the context you're in is not friendly, does not care or appreciate the Jesus that you serve. And until you are strong enough to walk in their face and be bold and be courageous for me, don't go back the same way. And I love the fact that the same star that shepherds saw months ago, the same star that was over the, God's house or the, the barn or wherever it was, a stable, months ago, reappeared to these men. And the leading of God is always present to draw us to Jesus. And I love that about God, that he does not leave us searching for him, searching for him in the darkness, but yet he puts a star in the sky. He puts a sign in your life. He puts someone in your life. Sometimes he puts a sickness in your body. Sometimes you get a bill you weren't expecting. Sometimes you get bad news. Sometimes someone breaks up with you and it is a star to draw you back to the place where you can behold that the solution to the worst problem in the history of the world has been answered. That a savior has been born and that you can have new life and you can have new purpose and your world is not over because of the infant Jesus, the promise that was kept from God that this Messiah would give us peace, that this Messiah would give us joy, that this Messiah would give us life. So don't go back. telling Herod all your business. Go back 
different direction. The hope of Christmas is that we always got a different direction we can go into. I like, I like, I like running backs. They're one of my favorite, favorite people in the world. And I, I saw this clip. I don't even know if it was a running back or not. I don't know. I just saw it was really clip, but I was laughing about it. I didn't get a chance to read the rest of it. It was somebody from the Kansas City Chiefs. And some guy was running. I think it was, I don't know. Somebody can tell me later. He was running back a play. And for those who play basketball, there's a move called the Euro step. Anybody know what the Euro step is? Well, this guy was running back and did the Euro step in football. It was hilarious. He actually shook his opponent with the Euro step in football. I don't know what he was doing, but he did it. It worked. And I love that about running backs because they learned how to change directions. They learned how to change direction when opposition comes their way. And I just want to say that I believe that when you come from the presence of God, that there are times when God is telling you, I want you to change your direction. If you stay here too long, something's going to happen. If you stay this too long, you're going to get held back. And sometimes God is trying to push the pause button on your life before you walk in the house. I say, you know what? Let me just take a little time to get down on my knees, open up my treasure box. I, I hear the star. I hear what you're saying. You're just telling me, here's an opportunity to be aware of your presence. Here's an opportunity to know that in the middle of this argument that you are providing a peace that I need. Because normally, when she starts yelling at me, I got something to say back. Normally, when he does this, I got something to say to him. Normally, when my child keeps doing this to me, I'm going to cut him off. But this time, I'm going to be aware that everybody might not see it, but I see it. There's a star. And there's a star that's saying there is a solution there is a promise that has come to pass in this moment. And if I just pause and if I just put myself in the right posture and I say, God, I surrender your voice to your decision, your will for my life. I will listen and hear and I will get up from that place and I'll change directions. And I'll give a different response and I'll give a different answer. And I'll leave this worship service not the same. I won't just come in and come out having missed what God said to me. I will come in with the posture that, you know what? Pastor may not greet, preach a great sermon, but I'm expecting God to speak to me today. And the worship team may have some bumps and some issues, but I'm still going to open up this treasure chest. And people may not be at the door to greet me, and the heat may not be on. It may be too cold, but you know what? I don't care where I'm. I've come from too far. I've come from a distant place. You you don't know where my life has been, but I'm pursuing God in such a way that I won't stop until I find him. And when I find him, I'll be filled with joy. Some of y'all need to understand why I come in the house of God the way I do. Because I found the Savior. I found the Christ child. I found my Savior and my Messiah. And I know that if I just position myself, I don't feel like it. And give God my attention. He can renew my heart, renew my life. And if he can do that for people who were outside of the house, who were from a distant place, what can he do with the people of God? And what can he do for you? If you've had enough Christmases, you know there are times when you feel in the Christmas spirit and sometimes you don't. 
times when Christmas is all about just buying gifts for kids and seeing them enjoy it. And you're kind of like, yeah, don't buy me anything. I don't need anything. I'm just kind of sitting back chilling. There are also times in Christmas morning when you see the joy in a child's face or you see a family member that's still there because maybe next year that family member won't be there. And you begin to just enjoy the moment and you begin to take a posture and say you know what I'm going to soak up every single moment of this and not take it for granted and see the blessing that God has given me and begin to worship him not for what he's done but simply for who he is so I want to ask you bow your heads as we close this today there might be somebody that's just saying you know what I feel like God has shown me a star I feel like he's told me next year that I need to do something different that he's leading me to a place of much a much purer experience not a place of of busyness but a place of very of, of simplicity maybe you feel like you know I really can't connect with God on my own like I have to come to church and even when I do when I leave I just lose it all I don't remember anything you said and I don't remember any of the, the way I was like immediately when I get home I lose it all and God is calling you to a different place because there's a treasure inside of you that he wants to open up and he wants to use you to bless this church and bless this community and bless your family there's some gold inside there's some frankincense there's some myrrh there's something that God is depending on for the next season of this church you just need a little help. So today, I just want to pray for you. If you're, the, if you're here and you're saying, God, I'm just searching to connect with you. Maybe you're just really not connecting with God. Maybe you're having issues and doubts about what you believe. and You're just struggling. Maybe you're doing great. But I want to pray for someone today who just really needs an extra boost that will need a, just a brighter star in their life to show them your purpose and your love. So Father God, I pray for everyone in this room. And there might be someone here today who is struggling in their walk with you. They're struggling to really connect and see you in the purest moment and worship you in the right posture. Father, I pray for someone who's struggling today to connect with you, who's struggling to find you, that they will, you will show that star to them, make it bright, and provide a moment for them to be connected with you in such a spiritual way that they will be reminded that there's nothing too hard for you. And every problem can be solved. I pray for someone who's in a different season in their life. Perhaps they are switching gears. Perhaps they're moving. Perhaps they're leaving a relationship or starting a new one. Father, they want to start it right. They don't want to be cold and callous and be like the chief priests and the leaders who knew everything about you but didn't know you and didn't know where to find you. I pray that you will make us able to find you, finding you in the difficult moments, find you in the stressful moments find you in the good moments and that we would not forget you and father just as the wise men when they saw the star they saw the promise that you have led them to the right place they were filled with joy i want to pray today that you would fill us with joy i pray that you give someone their joy back they haven't had it in a long time They've kind of come in the house of God and drug their feet and drug their feet out, but they, they don't feel the joy. They don't know why people clap and celebrate, and they don't know how to lift their hands. I pray that you will fill them with the joy that only comes for you, from you. 
And I pray that as they celebrate Christmas, some alone, but maybe some with family, they will reflect on how good you are and how good you've been to us and how good you still are to us. And so we celebrate you, Lord. We thank you for answering our prayer for me.